Catch-Us podcast, we break things down to the very last compound. My name is Summit, a.k.a. the Potty Mouth of the South. And my name is Chris Mitchell, a.k.a. the Actual Factual. Yo, this is a, a great episode we've got for you today. Um, this is part of history. Um, we're not part of history, but our guest is very much part of history in that he was part, um, co-founder of an incredible, incredible legendary studio called D&D Studios. Um your favorite rappers rapper the greatest of all times have all come through this studio in one shape or another some incredible records happened here some incredible albums happened here uh, and the sound we got like chris says in 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 the in the episode is it's a name you can trust and we have david lotwin on the breaking out podcast and i think that's a it's a celebration to to really tip a hat to those who have contributed so much to the culture um chris i i kind of really enjoy i really enjoyed this one yeah yeah he looks like goldberg he looks like goldberg we we talked about he's a nice guy man (laughs) he's a nice guy and like he's he's got like he's got so much he's got so many stories and so many memories his love his love for premier is real his love for premier is real his love for reggae is real his love for music really is real and that shone through yeah you can really see why D D being the place that it was you know, it's it has to be part of the people who are help running it too. Mm. Um, it's in the same way that when we spoke to Sean Brouch of uh, Pen and Pixel, you could see why it was successful because of their ethic, the way they approach things. And, and as same- someone, as, as someone who uses studios, um, feeling comfortable and welcome in any yeah. kind of creative space, it's, it's it's so important. And just just the stories he was telling, like I could just imagine it in my head, and I'm like, yo, it it it, it was a real community feel. Yes, absolutely. And a real community feel, not some like buzzword. This is a real thing. There's that that lounge, that lounge in in D&D was a place. It was a place where people could meet, talk, collaborate and a safe space. Um, And and it's it's a safe space, neutral ground and they're there to work. And so, yeah, he gave us a lot and I appreciate David. I can't wait for the documentary. Glad to hear that Russell is behind that um hopefully we'll we'll get that soon r.i.p to to spin bad um but no i i hope we can get that documentary but yeah man, i'm looking forward to this, this is david lotwin dnd studios breaking atoms check it out it's another special episode of the breaking atoms podcast Ooh, today mm. let me tell you something let me tell you something right <laughs> let me tell you something right Woo! you see you see this is we can't say we were outside for this, but we can say that we lived those memories of this, of this famous studio. We mm. heard all, we heard all the stories. Um, we've heard all the music that's come out of this studio. It's a revered studio. The liner talked, notes. The liner notes. We've we've spoken to many of our guests about this particular studio. We are speaking with one of the co-founders, David Lotwin of D&D Studios. This is for us, like, this is bucket list because we get to speak to someone who was there um, and who was instrumental in making this happen. So, David, welcome to the Breaking Atoms podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks, guys. Really. Uh, we appreciate uh, you. We, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. We, we, we've spoken to, like, OC, Mike Geronimo, Razka. Razka has told us an incredible, incredible story. It was a world exclusive. 
yeah, it was an incredible story told us about how he got to New York um, and he was going to see Preem at D&D. It was the day Ether dropped. Um, uh. And he had this, you know, he was getting a haircut and it was all crazy because the, the, the city was on fire with Ether dropping. And he gets to D&D and then he sees Nas at D&D and spends an hour with him, Preem, uh, and Nas in the studio for like an hour. And I think uh, I think one of the, um, I think Nas had one of the other rooms. Um, yeah. Right. And and wow. then, and what was really crazy is uh, Raz Kaz had, a, had Golden Child. So Prima played him Golden Child, the beat. Actually, what we didn't realize until that interview uh, with Raz was that that beat was already bought by Jay-Z. So Prem called Jay on the day Ether dropped from D&D and said, yo, Raz wants this beat. Can you have it? Yeah, let him have it. And that was, you know, that, that. I just started listening to that Raz Kaz interview today. Oh, 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 really? Yeah. And I didn't get to that part. You oh, know, my no. day- <laughs> you spoiled it. Oh. Spoiler, spoiler alert, man. I should have done that. Right. I'm it's, sorry, man. It's, it's, no, it's great. I appreciate that. But but I, I think it, it comes to the um the, the mystique and, 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 and the things that you, you, you were part of and helped create. So I think what we'll do, we'll start with taking it back. So I understand uh you when you kind of first started out in music you went to jamaica um and did some kind of engineering out there with the reggae eyes so peter tosh what what was really cool for me was seeing you work with augustus pablo um and wow, me yes. me growing up see i so hip-hop i used to love but i kind of my first love was dubs roots reggae and dubs so Jacob Miller from Inner Circle is my favorite Roots reggae artist. Wow. But Augustus Pablo, we have vinyl of Augustus Pablo, uh, Lee, like Lee Perry, like all of that, like Burning Spear, all of that was part of my childhood. So I guess yeah. the first question I had was, what did you learn in, in terms of your engineering training uh, in Jamaica from the reggae guys? And how did that translate to the projects that gritty? Because the way they the way they mix things in, in for reggae is very different. It's very baseline heavy. How did that translate to the projects you did at D&D? Well, that was my first experience right out of school. So I was very green. And um, so I really learned, first of all, studio etiquette, uh, being an assistant engineer, being in the room with Peter Tosh, who was, he was a no-nonsense guy, you know. You, you, you couldn't, uh, couldn't really mess up because Peter, uh, though he was a wonderful, great man, he just, you know, he was working and, and, and he didn't have patience for a new kind of intern assistant engineer learning. So I, I kind of got, it was like trial by fire, you know, like, you, you know, you set up that mic, you better be done right the first time. Um, so, you know, that, that was interesting. And, and just the whole vibe of, of how to treat clients and, and, you know, music's a vibe. I always say that music's a vibe. So the studio has to have that that feeling where they're comfortable. You know, all of a sudden you go into a corporate space and you're coming out of uh, the projects or, or uh, you know, in Jamaica, wherever you live, and you're in this fancy, you know, architecturally perfect place. It's not necessarily a vibe. So... I, I thought it was very important to create a very homey, laid back, comfortable space. Um, and, and I got that from working uh, in Jamaica. I worked at Tough Gong for a while, um, which was, you know, I was a huge reggae fan when I went down there. I mean, it was, 
it couldn't have been a better experience uh, on that level as a fan. And then to be in the room and to see how uh, just the stuff was layered and uh, just the process that they went through in the studio, um, because a lot of stuff was written. Peter was interesting uh, where he liked every vocal, everything done, and then he would come and spit his lead vocal, which is pretty unusual. You know, most cats put on the vocal and then they layer it above that. But Peter liked it pretty much done and mixed, and then he'd come in and, and do his thing. So that 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 was cool. And, and just, you know, I, I was in awe for, uh, for most of the time. You know, at the beginning, you know, Peter considered me Babylon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, Babylon of Fire. You know, what I'm saying I, I, I get it, I get it. You know, who's I, this guy? You I know? think I can so, hear him saying that in my head now. You know, that Prince element, his in his legendary yeah. interview. Yeah, that sounds like Peter. Yeah, because I came in through his manager, Danny Sims. At the time, Danny was managing him, and I had a relation with Danny, so he brought me and he's like, who, "Who's this?" you know, the big white guy, you know, what's, what's going on here. So it, it took, it took a while to kind of break down that barrier. But once it was done, he, you know, he knew who I was and uh, the, the amount of respect for the culture and the music and, you know, every aspect. I became a, a vegetarian down there, actually vegan for 15 years. Wow. You know, it was very influential on my life, uh, the Rasta philosophy and way of life. Yeah, no, that, that's, uh, that's, I mean, I'm a vegetarian. I say I'm vegan, but I have, I guess, cheese is my only thing. Cheese right, is my listen, only thing. As mindful as you can be, man. That's, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, no, exactly, be, exactly. You know? Now, you and Doug, um, really interested to kind of understand your skills and experiences in, in ways of how you contrast each other, but also how you complemented each other. So how, how, what was that kind of working relationship like? Where were you, you know, where were you different and where were you the same in, in instances? Well, Doug and I went back to junior high school. So we were very good friends growing up and we both kind of went off to college. And then, you know, in our freshman year, we said, what are we doing? You know, Doug went to Berkeley school of music. Doug's a brilliant musician. I mean, to this day, he's in a phenomenal band and he has an incredible uh, ear skill set um, that I just didn't have. In fact, when we, you know, I played a little bass and he, he was just so superior. He's, he's just amazing. Um, but we, we love music and, and we wanted to get into the business. So uh, we said, yeah, let's, let's try to, we got an A track and we just started recording stuff. Um, but he's very technical, very, very brilliant, very, very, very good musician, engineer. I'm more on, uh, I'm on the business side. I'm a people person. I'm the, the relationships. I kept everyone happy. Um, you know, executive producing was my forte saying, hey, you know, you would be great on this 45 King track or, you know, putting people together. Um, so at the beginning, we both engineered. And then I kind of grew out of that, for lack of a better term. Because if you're at the end of the session and you're taking the bill and you were in the room with the cat, it's a little different. You gotta, you gotta kind of separate it um, because you know, it's just the way it is. If you're doing work like that, business and creative are kind of separate. So we kind of went down those different paths. 
Okay. So you you described the relationship between yourself and Doug. What was the 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 vibe and the allure of D and D? Like, why did people come to D and D to record their records? Well, at the beginning, you know, it kind of morphed. You know, we were just we didn't have the best equipment in the world, um, but we all our equipment worked. We were very conscious of of as we made money. You know, we were young, so we both live at home. So every penny we took, we, all right, now digital reverbs came out. Well, when we started, digital barely existed. There was no MIDI. I mean, so we were at the very beginning as stuff came into, you know, reality. Um, we, we were at that change to, to the digital era. So we, uh, you know, we were just big audio bucks growing up you know, all about the turntables and, and the cartridges and, the, you know, the amps. And, and so we just had such a love for it and such a love for music. Um, so when I went off to work with Peter, Doug worked at a, a interned at a place called M&I recording studio. And he started being an assistant and getting his skills. And uh, so when I came back off the road, we said, you know, what, let's just try to do it ourselves. Okay. Nice. I've got one one question actually. Um, you've reminded me. Before it was called D and D. Um, you had the Bronx Connection, and I was reading an article today, and you you took out some adverts in the Village Voice. Um, me being the, you know, just wondering why. Why did you take out adverts in the Village Voice, and can you remember any clients that came as a result of those adverts? Well, we, you know, we were just young kids. We didn't really know anyone. So uh, back in the day, the the back of the voice is where you got rehearsal space. You get, in fact, when we moved from the Bronx to Manhattan, we said, let's look in the voice and find places where you can rehearse. Because if you can rehearse, you can record. So that's how we found 320 West 37th Street. Okay. Um, and, you know, I remember one client, Louis Ayala, who actually, you know, is a pretty big guy in that world. And then it just became word of mouth. And, uh, you know, we, but we always, for many years, kept that ad in the voice um, because that, that was our calling card. Okay. That was like our one ad, maybe some local Long Island magazines, but th that was it. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Your, your, your favorite room, was it the B room still? Was it always the B room or did it kind of grow to be the B room? Well, when we first opened, we only had the A room. You know, it was a little space. And so A, in a way, was my favorite room because that was the original D&D. That's where, you know, we built uh, like floating floors and everything was really done, uh, you know, sound-wise and um, separation. And we had a very big uh, live space, which doesn't exist anymore. You know, we had the heptones in there. Wow. You know, the the full, you know, all the heptones we had, I don't know, there were 10 guys there that day, Whoa. you know, all the horns and, yeah, yeah. and, you know, but we built it for that. So that was very exciting uh, that we were able to do live and um, uh, a guy named Al Firestein uh, helped us design the room and came in with the spectrum analyzer and made, you know, we made the speakers perfect where the B room in a way we kind of just threw up. 
It wasn't as precise. It wasn't isolated. Though Al, Al did come in and tune it, um, it was more of a, okay, A's sold out all the time. We got our neighbors out. We, we got this room and we're putting a studio in. We had the same speakers, Yuri 813As in both rooms, except uh, once Prem got in there, we, we put a, a 20 inch subwoofer. Wow, he needed uh, that. <laughs> yeah, you know, wanted the thump. Yeah, yeah the drums. So, just randomly, right? Because I'm not a music guy in, in that sense. But how lo how how long does it take to put that kind of room together? If it's a B room or A room, the the acoustics, the sounds, how you put things together on the walls, like how long is that? Because I always, you know, hear Just Blaze and Guru talking about bassline and how they're able to craft the room themselves in the way they wanted it to sound acoustically. How does at, at D and D, how long did it take to create one of the rooms in the in the way you wanted it? You know what? Uh, it took maybe seven or eight months to get the A room up and running, and then the B room came much quicker. Because again, we weren't floating ceilings. We weren't three layers of sheetrock, and then uh, you know, uh, airspace between. So the so the B room went way quicker because we were up and running, and people were there every day. And uh, um, but the A room took about eight months. Yeah, the only reason I say it because I, I also want people to understand how how much goes into putting a studio together to get the sound right. True, it's very important that people listening to this really understand that isn't just putting a mic stand up and putting a, you know, a couple of pillows around you and think you've got the acoustics, right? There's, there's an art to putting it really together to get the best sound. And you think about the records we've heard that have come through that studio. The room also makes it that too. It's the, the people Absolutely. that have it, but they've got to work with what the tools that are there with them and their talent. It's all mixed into mesh out to this wonderful product that we see. Um, before I hand over to Chris. The wiring, not to cut you off, sorry. you know, patch bays, you got to wire each patch bay and that, and that bring it out to the equipment right. and the outboard gear and, you know, it's our and the board, every every channel goes to the patch bay, goes to, you know, that alone is uh, mind boggling. Right. And um, and people don't understand and people don't understand the complexities that go into that. So, um, before, yeah, just before I hand over to Chris, Limp Biscuit, there's a story you put um, on uh, on your stories on your Instagram. Yeah. He said he, had, he, had, he bought his pit ball when meth came in to do a record. He's an English ball. Right, right. Talk to us about yeah. that before I hand over to Chris, because we've got to get into these kind of stories too. So you were in re he was in the reception with you with the dog? What, what happened there? No, no. He was up there a couple of days, Fred Durst uh, and meth. And, um, you know, uh, you know, Prem was doing that beat. And I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, it was just so incredible. <laughs> and Prem and I are very good friends since, you know, day one. So he was very blessed where Prem would always say, hey, you know, uh, Fred Durst is about to spit, come, roll a blunt, come. And so I, I got to sit through some incredible, just, I wasn't sitting in my office. I was actually, you know, part of a lot of this and uh, Primo cutting up. And it was just such a, I'm getting a little chump talking about it, literally, because it was such an experience. But uh, if you see, I have two pit bulls and an English bull. So, uh, and the original logo for D&D, we wanted to call it Bulldog Records. I just love Bulldogs. It's just a passion. Um, and if you look at some of the stuff, you'll see a Bulldog with a cape flying over New York. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when Fred was up there, he had, I don't remember the name of the dog, but uh, he actually had one of these remote control trucks and the dog used to attack it. Like, you know, and so when he was actually really busy, 
um, I would take the dog into my office or sit in the lounge with the dog and play with the truck and just wrestle around with the dog, which again, I have such love for bulldogs. I mean, that, that just, uh, I loved when he came up and, and he brought his dog. And then one of the highlights was uh, we went to the Playboy Club for Fred Durst's birthday. Uh, Primo was the DJ. So Primo brought me and a bunch of the crew out there and, uh, you know, spending uh, a bunch of time at the Playboy Mansion, not the club, the actual mansion. Wow. Okay. Uh, Fred Durst's birthday with Primo spinning. I mean, that, well, that was a highlight of, of the career. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw a picture of you and Doug online, you're both playing pool. And, um, you know, when I look, when I read some of the interviews, there's always, you know, people would come to D and D they'd be waiting, hanging around playing pool. i got a question though. Who, who's nicer at pool? You or Doug? Doug is infinitely better. <laughs> okay. He beat you. You've ever, have you ever beaten him? No, it was different levels. Like he was out there playing. It wasn't, you know, Doug's very precise as a musician. He's just, it wasn't my forte. I, I didn't even, I, I even think Doug had his own stick, you know, <laughs> he was really good and, and a good player. I just was a scratch player. I, I didn't do it much. Okay. So uh, um, in terms of the artists that came to D and D, um, any cool pool players? Yeah. You know, a bunch of guys got into it. Uh, we ended up using, I tell the story that pool table a lot for CeeLo games. Um, a lot of dice, a lot of money was uh, won and, and lost on that table. Okay. So I mean, some intense games where, you know, I was more into that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to remember who the great pool players were. There, there were definitely some guys who, uh, you know, it was a passion. And in fact, if you were a good client, you didn't even have to be working in one of the rooms as long as you were real and you were one of our people, uh, you know, people just came by to, to shoot pool and, and and collaborate with people. So many collaborations were done because of that lounge. There were people in A and people in B and uh, whether it was Nas, Jay-Z, whoever it was, and they go, oh, you know, we, we need to collaborate. And then records came out of out of that lounge and, and the kind of bonds that were created in that pool room and uh, you know, that, that space. Yeah, just, so, so just taking on pool, just remind me of something. When ODB was getting the Grammy, I don't know if this is, uh, so I have a friend, uh, he's a photographer, Paul H. I remember him telling me a story that he was playing pool with MOP at D&D when ODB was getting the Grammy, where he said Wu-Tang for the kids. And it just strikes me now that you've asked that question, Chris, that, that, community was there in in that studio where people could just play pool with each other and he's always told me a story i think i'm pretty sure it was dnd but it was crazy that 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 happened in that moment they were watching it like mlp bugged out apparently just seeing like they went crazy seeing odb do that but it's just like that moment was captured at dnd and that's the the kind of beauty of of what it stands for in, in hip-hop right it, that, it, that. it feels like the the pool table that room was almost like the original creative space. You know, you've got your WeWorks and all that now where yes. people come and network. It was it was that before that, if that makes sense. It's true. And uh, one of the things people loved about the room, and you bring up MOP, uh, I heard Fame say this on an interview, and, and the Lost Boys, they could roll deep. Like, MOP could come with 15 guys. Not a lot of studios would have 
you know, let that happen, uh, accommodate that. But uh, Lost Boys, they they came deep, man. They, they, you'd see them coming down the block. Um, before, <laughs> it was so funny because we, at the very beginning, we didn't have a buzzer. So people, you know, we go back. So people had a, not even cell phones. So they had to go to the corner. Then the, yo, David, uh, you know, come let us in. But what the Lost Boys did is as soon as they got on the block, we're in the middle of the block, 37th Street, they go, Lost Boys, Lost Boys. Yo. And we could actually hear them. And we used to go downstairs and open the door for them. So imagine, so you be in your office and you hear Lost Boys and that's them saying that we're here. Yeah. My, my office was the front of the building, big windows, uh, fourth floor, usually had a window open. And so if you lost boys, that would and, scare me to death. Yeah, no, nah, it was great. It was, it was, that's uh, amazing. That's, that's, yeah. so, yo, that's so, that's a hip hop. That is so amazing. Like now we're going to call, we're going to let you know we're on our way. That's, that's crazy. Right. That is crazy. I crazy. might try that. I might try that myself, you know, next time I'm outside and, my know, house. There was always, you know, there was always at least five of them. So it, it was, it was a big voice that came up. Mm, mm. I've also heard about the infamous vending machine people could buy blunts I, I, explain how that works well what, you know we had the blunt wrappers we we didn't have like rolled herb uh, okay yeah 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 so you know it, it, it was just it wasn't a big deal i mean it became kind of legend but uh you know we had rolling paper and we had blunt wrappers in, in the machine instead of that two in the morning you know new york's great like that we had a bodega on the corner you could get anything at any time but we had a great vending machine that just had a bunch of munchies and, and uh, you know, packs of blunts. Okay, here's me being an idiot in it. When it said blunt machine, I thought you just put your money in and a blunt just fall down and you just smoke it. Like, I know nothing. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite that sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so you. you know, herb is legal now. It's like nothing. But back then, it, it was more of a thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And no, I can imagine. Going back to the stories, I was thinking about DITC comes up a lot in our in our, our uh, podcast. Um, we, we, we love the whole crew. We've spoken to a couple of people and uh, from the crew, but um, when when was the first time that D and, uh, DITC came to D and D? Was it for Return of the Funky Man? Was it the remix for? Well, was it for the Return of the Funky Man? Lord Finesse. When was the first time those guys came through? Buckwild, all those guys, Showbiz. Yeah, yeah. Finesse was the first, and he brought Prem up to do uh, scratches on Return of the Funky Man, as far as I remember. And once Prem got there, he was very comfortable. And he just camped out. You know, he was at Calliope, uh, which was right down the block. And, um, you know, he liked the vibe. He liked the console. He liked the sound. Um, Prem used to have a, a, a Mazda MP... MPV. MPV. I was going to say MP3, MPV. <laughs> and he had a killer yeah. system in it that he knew really well. And... At that point, he used to take his cassettes and go down to the car and like AB him and listen to the cassette and make sure it sounded that sound that he knew from his MPV, uh, you know, was, was banging. And uh, that was that was one thing Preem did was uh, uh, really, you know, know his sound. And so we we tuned the room pretty much for Preem. So he was happy. Um, but that that was the finesse was definitely the guy who bought Prem there. 
realness. Mm. Okay, mm. all right, nice. So Premier, he camps out in the B room. How instrumental was DJ Premier in terms of attracting clientele and business to the studio? In a way, he was everything. You know, he was Prem. People wanted Prem, so they came to D and D. I mean, it was. Uh, it was like foot and glove, whatever, uh, foot and uh, sock and shoe. Yeah. You know? so yeah. If you wanted that Primo sound, uh, we were very blessed to have Primo there. And, uh, uh, you know, and then when people came, they liked the room and they were there. Guys like the Lost Boys or Duck Down, <clears throat> there were a lot of crews that didn't necessarily work directly with Prem and they were in the A room. But, you know, to some degree, also the vibe of Primo being there and he's working with Nas and B, they love being in A and, you know, coming in the lounge and, and just being in that vicinity. Mm, mm. Okay. So is it... All right, I'm a wrestling guy. Um, Sometimes wrestling companies, they build the business around one wrestler or, or a group of wrestlers because they know these are our marquee people. Is it safe to say in some ways... D&D and the business and the comfort and the B-room and all these things were kind of revolved around DJ Premier? Well, once he got there, certainly. Um, you know, at the beginning, we, again, we did a lot of reggae stuff. Augustus Pablo, as you know, was up there. We did a lot of Dennis Brown and, um, you know, any, any time that people came in from Jamaica and wanted to record. Um, Dennis Thompson, who, when I worked in Jamaica... I worked with Dennis and Dennis was one of Bob's engineers and probably the greatest engineer, reggae engineer of all time. Um, he toured the world with Bob, uh, Babylon by bus. Uh, he recorded that whole record. Uh, in fact, he's one of the pictures is with Dennis. So just like Primo for hip hop, Dennis was a call and people wanted Dennis. They, they, D&D. and there was a place called rocket rehearsal which was the big reggae anytime a band was coming and they're playing at the Ritz or wherever they're playing, they would go to Rocket to rehearse. And we were, you know, uh, half a block away from Rocket. So a lot of the reggae cats would go to Rocket, come to D&D, do their shows. Gotcha. Okay. You know, okay. God bless DJ Premier. What can I say? Oh, yeah. No, Prem is... Uh, and to this day, there's no better representative of hip-hop. No, no. He's so brilliant. He's so true to who he is. He's just, and he does so much stuff people don't even know. Like what a kind, generous, taking care of everybody kind of cat he is. Um, you know, we used to call him Tony because back in the day, the Sopranos, he, you know, he was the leader of the crew. He was Tony, man. He was Tony Soprano. For everybody, he was just, you know... People would die for him, man. He's, and rightly so. There's, there's, there's no better person on the planet. It's it's crazy because DJ Premier he occupies this certain space in hip hop. It's like um I remember where there was a a, a minor dispute with cannabis. So supposedly DJ Premier produced Devil's Pie for cannabis. Cannabis turned it down. He gave the beat to uh D'Angelo Belly soundtrack. Won a Grammy. Got paid twice. All good. And there were rumors that cannabis was going to do a diss track against DJ Premier. And it's like, everybody was like, no, 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 no. You don't do that. No, no, no. Even if you have a valid gripe, you right. don't do that. His name is off limits. 
Yes. You don't. You we don't talk about Premier disrespectfully. You you do not do that. It's just it's one. It's on a it's on a, a blacklist of names that you don't mention in a derogatory way. And I love that. Yeah, because he. I guarantee, Prem went through the right channel. He wouldn't just give it to D'Angelo. I'm sure he said, you know, this is where we at. You're good. Okay, I'm good. Boom, boom. Um, and what a great. I mean, that's one of the tracks, Devil's Spy. I mean. When that came out, I mean, that just stopped the clock for a second. Can I can I make a confession? Yeah. When I first heard it, I wasn't sure. Devil's oh, Bite? Yeah? Okay. I don't know. Okay, but no, like years later, years later, it's the, the same thing happened with Banned from TV, Noriega, and Bring It On from Reasonable Doubt. I wasn't sure. And Bring then like, mm, yeah. yeah, 10, 15 years later, I'm literally just walking down the street, minding my business, right? And I, I listened to Devil's Pie and I listened to Bring It On. And I'm like, what was I thinking? These bring tracks it on, are amazing. Bring it on. Look, I, I'm, a, I'm a resident Hove stan on the podcast. That has to be said, period. But Bring It On, mm, Devil's Pie I can mess with. Um, Banff on TV, I, I probably, I, 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 would, I would, everyone's takes are different, but Bring It On's the only one I would be like, meh. Nah, bring, um, it on's, but, bring It On is incredible. 38-year-old I mean, Chris, oof. I mean, it's, it's it's a great song, but you know, just for my for my taste. Um, okay, sorry, Ho- love- sorry, Hovstan. I'm sorry. Sorry. I love Devil's Pie. My wife loves Devil's Pie. I mean, that's something we listen to, uh, you know, to this day or all the time. Now, Prem, Prem, um, if you ever, if any of you have ever met Prem, he is who he is. Like he is, he like is who he, he is. He's absolutely the guy you could just have a beer with. He's just such a down to earth individual. And for people who come from from this culture, you would you would you look at him and go, you know, I'm I'm scared to meet him. But he's so he's so disarming, he's so charming, he's such he's just who he is, right? He just he will treat everyone the same, doesn't matter who Absolutely. you are. And I think that's like as a person, and I've mentioned this before, as a person, he's just incredible to have. And you and also you can't disprime. That just goes without saying. Um you you, you can't do you you can't do no reason. I mean, he's just he's true to hip hop, he's true to who he is. Uh, he's certainly not in it for the money or for the fame. He just, he, he's brilliant on so many ways, just as a DJ, yeah. watching cut records and, and figuring out these hooks and using seven records to make one hook. And mm-hmm. It's mind boggling. It, yeah. It's- I am. Um, I'm a, I'm an artist. So I do a lot of, um, I get a lot of cuts on my records. Premier's his, his records. I'm like my reference point. So I'll be, in, I'll use my phone and be like, let's go. That's all DJ Premier. Like I could, as far as I'm concerned, every hip hop song ever can have a scratch hook and I would never get bored because of Premier. I agree. If you listen to One Two Pass It, which is a song we did, the D&D All-Stars that Primo did, the interludes between, let's say, Dougie Fresh and KRS-One. I don't know if you really, if you listen to the scratches that Primo did between each interlude, it's mind boggling. I saw again. I'm getting a chill because it's it's so on point, and the way he heard it, and he would, uh, you know, he would use a Dougie Fresh record to go into KRS One, and then a KRS One record to go into Fat Joe, and it was like, my God, man, how, you know, it's an it's an en- it's an encyclopedic memory for lyrics. It's a it's it's um alien like. Yeah, it's alien like. I've told this story before, but we were once at the studio, and uh, you know. Cats would come and give him 12-inch, like uh, white label 12-inches, like local cats. And he liked one song and went to the radio station that night 
and he was sitting in for someone, which he did often, like uh, whether it was Stretch or Bobito, whoever he was sitting in for. And he, he actually played the record that the cat gave him that afternoon. It wasn't a clean version. Him and I are talking. And as he's playing the record, he goes, you know, he goes, one second. And he scratched out the curse live on air that of a record he got four hours ago. I mean, people don't, you know. Yeah, like, that's crazy. And then I'm like, there's, there's something wrong with you, dude. How <laughs> Listen, pre Primo... <laughs> Primo's cleans are great. The way he, he'll, he, now the way he'll do it, he'll bleep it out, but put a sound effect instead. So it still carries on and a sound. The, the other yes. thing about, the other thing about Primo is while he's an incredible producer, producers always get um, labeled with a particular sound, right? So you think yeah. Pharrell, he might have a particular sound. The Neptunes have a particular sound with Chad. Primo scratches, you can tell distinctively that it's a Primo scratch. If, if you, you, I don't know many other DJs out there who are producers that would have their own distinctive scratch. Maybe Revolution, I don't know, but you can hear a record and go, that's a primo scratch. And it's so distinctive to him. And people scratch all day. There's millions of DJs in the world scratching, but Primo has his own almost distinctive scratch that when it comes on record, I know that's Primo. That's that's right. And he does have such a broad sound, whether it's Jill Scott, Christina Aguilera. He transcends, but he keeps it... He keeps it cream, but he he works with these other people that true. They're the best records. You know, Christina Aguilera's album "Back to Basics." I know she Basics. did some of it at D and D. That "Back in the Day" song is insane, and to hear DJ Premier talking, and then Christina Aguilera comes in, and I remember he told a story that he asked her, you know, like, "Why do you want to work with me?" And she said. I love kicking the door and most deaf mathematics. Wow. Math Crazy. Jesus. Like DJ, yeah. DJ premier brought Christina Aguilera into his world. She didn't lose any of her source that's and kept to him. That genius, genius. Yeah. That's what I'm you saying. can tell with DJ premier fans. That's what I'm <laughs> I was doing some, uh, Jill Scott. He's, he's, uh, or even, um, you know, Whatever he does has a sound, but he tailors it to uh, whoever he's working with. And you can't say that a lot, about a lot of people. Even Limp Bizkit, you know. He, he, he they, that, 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 that kind of, um, it was almost like this, it was like a Wu-Tangy Oriental type sound, but it made sense because Method Man was on it. Genius. I, yeah. don't, I, don't, I couldn't do it. I don't know how. I love how it starts, DJ. Yeah, you need that stamp. You need that stamp. You do, you do. You absolutely do. Um, you, uh, Chris mentioned uh, most death mathematics, black on both sides. Do you remember anything about that recording? Because Raucus, from what I remember, used to do a lot of stuff at D&D, &D, right? Because they didn't have their own space. Is that correct? Sure. No, we did a lot of Raucus stuff. Headquarters right. uh, worked for Raucus. Oh, wow. And, okay. Yeah, no, he was the, the, I guess he was the head of promotion for them. Wow. So, uh, you know, he brought a lot of stuff and he was always up there. I don't remember that particular session, you know, so many sessions. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but but we did a lot of stuff with Raucous. Obviously, Big L. Yes. Was, was yeah. uh, you know, one of my favorite MCs. David, you've met everyone. You've done it. You've done it all, man. Like, and, 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 and also people have ascended coming through like the platform of D&D. &D. Right through that medium of D, yeah, which no, is we crazy. We were very blessed uh, to be in that moment, in that space. Uh, 
you know, I, I just remember Big L sessions so well because he just blew me away. I mean, I'm like, damn, this this guy's like better than everybody, you know. He just <laughs> he just you know, he said that shit like you would have to re did he just say that? Like yeah. that kind of like god damn man it's, it's funny i was saying to someone the other day if big l was rapping now um in this increasingly political politically correct era he'd have a lot of problems big l would probably get cancelled yeah yeah i like his humor i love him but yeah yeah he had a he had a few lines there yeah in in 2020 um, might might offend some people but we love him for that regardless rest in peace big l Rest in peace, Miguel, rest in peace. I mean, he was uh, and such a nice guy. I mean, he was just just one of the guys, you know. He was uh, just understated and I don't want to say he was meek, but he, you know, he didn't like stand out like, you know. And then when he spit, you're like, oh my God, this guy's incredible. Supremely mm. talented, supremely mm. talented. Like that very famous picture of him in front of the, uh, the microphone. Yes. Uh, that's in Studio B, that's... Uh, Oh wow! Oh, the one yeah. where he's kind of—he's—it's black and white, and he's side. looking off. Yeah. He's looking yeah. off to the left. That's D and D. Wow. Okay, yeah. I use that I picture know. in my um my Big L playlist. That's like an iconic yeah, yeah. picture. Yeah, yeah. Iconic Yeah, yeah. So you he mentioned was up there. I think a day, like the day before he was murdered, he was up there. Oh wow! Wow. When my uh, one of my engineers, Dexter, called me and he's like, "Yo, Dexter Thibu, have I said it right? That's right. Yeah." We need to find yes, him too. He's on. He's on the list. Believe what I just heard. So, uh, you know, brutal, mm. brutal. for mm. nothing. You know, that's one guy who just was a peaceful, dope MC. Mm. You know. Mm. So you mentioned before D and D records. I love the Craig G record. Ready, set, begin. I know that came out on D and D. What yeah, were yeah, yeah. what were some of the um. Uh, what were some of the uh, objectives of D and D Records? Like, why did you why did you set up a record label to complement the studio? Well, yeah, actually, uh, Karis One uh, gave us the idea. That's how we did Want to Pass It. Right. Um, he's like, you guys have so many dope MCs and producers coming through here. You know, what are you doing? Why don't you guys, you know, put out a record and start a label? And we're like, hmm, Chris, that sounds like an idea. You know. You want to be on the first record? And he said, yeah. So, you know, one, two, pass it. We had uh, what we call the 40 and blunt party. So we sent out invitations and uh, basically put up a mic in the middle of the room. Prem came up with the beat. And it was that live cypher vibe. Uh, not a battle, but a cypher of just guys spitting together with a bunch of people in the room. And, uh, you know, that's how that record came about. And then we started doing a bunch of D&D all-star tracks using different producers and different MCs. And uh, we signed Craig G. We signed Afu Ra. Yes. Yes. Um, um, body of the Life Force. That's right. Yeah. Um, Monotony. One of the most underrated premier beats of all time. I'll, I'll stand on that one. Monotony is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, it was amazing. Uh, you know, Afu came out of J. Ru's camp, which is Gangstar Foundation. Um, so we were just, uh, you know, blessed to just, you know, be kind of in the center of it and, and be able to uh, collaborate with these incredible people. That's dope. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, 
Chris, I've got, I've got nothing else. I'm, I'm good. You good? All right. I, the the hip hop guy in me, David. I've got just one question to ask you, and you can take your time. What are some of your favorite records or albums recorded at D and D? If an alien, if an alien came from the sky, said, David, what did they record at D and D? I need a playlist. What are you going to hook him up with? Well, you know. <sighs> Our first, uh, our first gold record was a song called Wiggle It. Uh, two in a room. Wiggle it just a little bit. I want to see you wiggle that it. That was recorded at D&D? Yeah, that was our first gold Whoa. record. Excuse me? That's crazy. Yeah. So I have, a, I have a love for that record. Uh, cutting records and Aldo, they did a lot of stuff up there. Um. So again, I really love that record. Uh, we did guys that just going off the track a little bit. I'm just wondering if you you know the Blow Monkeys, Dr. Robert. That name is not familiar to me. Not to me. Ah, because they were big in England. The Blow Monkeys. Ah, because they can't. You know, check them out. They came to D and D to get that New York sound, and we did their whole record. And then Doug ended up going back to England and spent about a month there uh, mixing the record. Okay, I got into, you know what it is? Cause I got into hip hop late. And when I say late- They're not even hip hop. They're not, they're, they're uh, like, um, I guess they're, they're kind like of- like a pop, pop English band. Band. Right, Okay. Right. Robert, uh, he's a pretty famous guy. Name, right? Yeah, I was gonna say though, because I grew up in church, you see, so I didn't get into the devil's music exactly. until like 13, wow. 14. Understood. Yeah, so I was choir boy for, for, for a hot minute. So obviously Nas, you know, New York State of Mind, that whole album, um, you know, that's a seminal album that was a life-changing album. Yes. I'm a huge KRS-One fan. Return of the Boom Bap. Great know, album. Great album and something I listen to all the time. Um, you know, the first Lost Boys album, we did like that whole album. Um, so they spent months up there and... Uh, you know, that album just came out great to me. Obviously, Biggie. I mean, you know, I, there's so much uh, uh, that that comes to mind um, that it's just hard to pinpoint one thing. Um, we did a song by Delight, Groove is in the Heart. Yes. Um, and that was a huge song for us. Like when that, because... They were a new group. Uh, Q-Tip was on that. Bootsy Collins on bass, and that, and we did that whole album, every track, every mix. Um, so when Groove is in the Heart, it dropped, and that video came out. It was explosive, mm. explosive, mm. Uh, and that brought a lot of shine onto D and D. Dope, dope. That particular record. Dope, um, dope. And then of course all the gangstar stuff. Oh, of course. I mean. I mean, of course, you know that goes without saying. Absolutely, Jay Ru, the Jay, like, I mean, Jay Ru is one of my one of my favorite MCs. Is Jay Ru? I love Jay Ru to death. I was um, I was I very fortunate. Sorry, go ahead. I love Jay Ru as a person. We used to sit and play chess, and you know, I just uh, he was a dear friend, and I loved his philosophy. And you know, when he did that uh, diss song to Puff. One day. Oh, one day, one day is it? Yo, yeah, that was a little heavy, you know, because he was with Prem. It didn't get that heavy because Prem was like, "No, nah, that's my man," you know. And and Prem was down with Puff too. Yes. Yeah? So, you know, he was the UN, but he said, "Listen, he wanted to spit that. He's a man." He, but you see, the he, respect that Prem has is that like, look, that's my man. But you're still gonna buy a beat right. from me afterwards. 
That's right. Exactly. So that was a heavy kind of moment. Uh, but, you know, it was, uh, you know, I love Rue. I love that first album. The Bitches. What? <laughs> I, was, um, I was fortunate enough to see him live last year. It was um, J. Rue and Ferro Monch. And, oh, wow. and he brought out O.C., OC's my favorite rapper. So he brought him out as a special guest and they did Return of the Crooklyn Dodgers. And and there's a picture of me with my hand in the air, eyes closed, like I'm having a spiritual moment. I bet. Yeah. You know, D&D. One of my favorite. I know I I have 700 favorite records, but that that record, man, you know. Special. this day, you know, as far as D&D. You know, we do have a documentary coming. That was going to be my final question. What's the update? Yeah. Well, you know, this whole COVID shit kind of slowed everything down. But uh, Russell Peters, uh, the greatest comic in the world and uh, an incredible hip hop fan, Mm. uh, historian, unbelievable DJ, uh, is one of the executive producers. Amazing. Um, Yeah. Russell's the one who got it on track. Oh, uh, I love Russell. Listen, I got. I'm, just, I'm sorry. I fucking love Russell. Like, I love Russell. Like, like, like you were talking about Primo, about like how he Primo gives. And he's he's just the best. He's I fucking love the... Russell. I've just got to say it. I don't care. <laughs> I fucking love that guy. And he's like a top of the head MC when he does crowd work. He's so brilliant. Yeah. He just he's just so witty and he's just so on point. We hear he's also very kind. Um, we spoke to Marco best, Polo. Man. We spoke to Marco Polo and um, he was saying that Russell Peters offered to pay for Sean Price's funeral. He's like that, dude. He's done more, like Preem, he's done more for more people than, and he, he does it on the low. <clears throat> and I got to say, rest in he's peace spin to Spinbad. Yes, 100%. I was about to oh, say, rest in peace. Oh, what happened? Excuse me? Yeah, Spinbad passed away a week ago today. He toured the world with Russell and... Uh, you know, they were boys, boys, and, you know, it's just so heartbreaking. And one of the, you know, I keep saying, but Spin was just such a nice, kind, generous, sweet guy. I mean, besides being an incredible DJ, because um, you can't you can't fuck around with Russell. Russell is into DJing. Mm. So if you're not so on the point, he's, he's not bringing you all over the world. Yeah, true. True. You know, I think he got into him from his mixtapes back, back in the day. Um, it always um, really rest in peace. I was heartbroken. That, to I, hear. I was, I was quite sad. I woke up and I said to my wife, "I said, Yo, DJ Spinbad passed away because we had seen Russell uh, at a comedy show not so long ago in London, and um, we were like two rows from the front. We we're like row B, and I said, You see this guy? Because I think um, starting from scratch wasn't there, but Spinbad was, right. um, and uh, and he was just." Yo, Spinbad was killing the warm up, right? Before and and my wife was like, This this guy's incredible. I was like, but he passed away. I was like, it was such a like it was one of those, oh, I felt so bad. And I thought about Russell and I thought about Spinbad's family. It's just this this year is crazy, man, and the people we crazy. lost and um Spin's mom had just been killed by a drunk driver about six weeks ago. Ten thirty in the morning. Oh my god. And it just, you know, that was just uh, you know. That's, that's... Such tragedy before he passed away. It was just yeah. really sad for a brilliant, sweet. Even my, you know, I got to, anytime Russell's in the vicinity, my wife and I go to the show. I mean, because it's my biggest pleasure. And Spin, which McCall, my wife, was always like, the first guy to come up to me backstage was always Spin. And hey, McCall, what's going on? You know, he was that kind of cat. And ugh. 
just just no, it's, it's, it's sad it's really sad but hip-hop lost a, a really uh great ambassador and i know i know russ is crushed so yeah david i just want to say on behalf of breaking atoms thank you so much for your not only not only Man, for your time great. you guys are, you guys were so wonderful and prepared and uh, it was such a pleasure to talk to you guys. Yeah, but we got to give you your flowers. Oftentimes, we celebrate the names on the CD and the people we see. Um, and sometimes the brilliance behind the scenes goes overlooked. Royce the Five Nine said something on the record. He said, me and Preem, both names go together like they ain't supposed to be separate, like D&D. &D. Growing up, buying albums, when it said recorded or mixed at D&D &D Studios, that was a seal of approval. It was, a, it was a sign of quality. I'm a big wrestling fan. So whenever time, whenever the wrestling goes down at like Madison Square Garden, that's holy ground for wrestling. And I'm going to go on record and say D&D &D Studios is holy ground for hip hop. And we want to thank you, yeah, thank you so much. and Doug. And um, it pains me that I never got a chance to set foot there. But we will be looking forward to the documentary. And D&D &D means something to us and the culture as a whole. So thank you. My man, thank you. Really, respect, guys. I used to be, I used to be told I would look like Goldberg all the time. You know, you're not, you're, you're, you know what? You're going to laugh, you know? I said that to Summit before we, in the pre-production, in the pre -production, I said, this dude looked like Goldberg, bruv. Oh, well, now I'm all grandson, but back in the day when Goldberg was prevalent, right? Yeah, I used to get stopped, like, on a daily basis. Yo, okay, so, so you understand, oh, the, you understand the wrestling references. Cool. Yeah, 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 no doubt. All no, right, no. thank you. Thank you. No, we, we appreciate you. Thank you, brother. Oh, man, I appreciate you. Respect. Take care. Bless you, bro. Thank you. Thank All you. the best. Peace. A big thank you to David for joining us on the podcast. Uh, that last bit was funny about Goldberg. Him getting stopped. Yeah. <laughs> That's you, funny. You, you called it. You called it. You called I called it. it. When I saw his picture, I said, yo, this brother looked like Bill Goldberg. Now, now, honestly, man, I had fun. I had I had a lot of fun, and and there's a lot of knowledge. Then it's, it's the I I heard stories today that I I never heard before. Yes, the Lost um, Boy story is is that's incredible. Yo, if I can learn something new from each interview we do, that's a win for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that Lost Boy story is crazy. <laughs> it's a, it's that, funny. Um, I just got a tweet from Mr. Cheeks actually. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I think there's a new Lost Boys album coming out, and I was talking about them on Twitter, and he just sent me a link to the album. I think it drops like soon. Oh, dope. Okay. So that's okay. That's why we know him telling us that Lost Boys story. I'm like, oh, new Lost Boys album coming out. Yeah, I, yeah, I have to check that. That that would be great. But no, there, there was a there's a lot in this. There's a lot of nuggets, a lot of stories. If you love rap, if you love that rap that we grew up, that kind of almost what we call the golden era, and also if you love Primo. You're gonna love this. Uh, so now nah, we 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 had a lot of fun. So peace to David. Hopefully we'll get him back uh, when the documentary is uh, ready to roll out. So yeah, I can't wait for that. But as always, you can follow us on social at Break the Atoms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. My personal is at Hip Hop Chronicle. Chris's personal is at I Am Kinetic. You can follow us on your favorite podcast platform. We are everywhere. Just search Breaking Atoms podcast. Chris, any last words? No. Open up your CDs, go into the archive. If you see anything with D&D &D Studios on there, you know what time it is. Yes, yes, indeed. Until next time, peace. Peace.